ask me to wine I just want one little taste I do not console me For your time it's a waste I'll just sit here lonely Not trying to improve My love situation For I know it's no Good morning, good morning, good morning. Weldon Henson, by request, kicking things off for us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Pass me the wine, the name of that one. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thank you so much for dropping by today. Whether you are checking things out on one of our radio affiliates or uh, hitting the podcast. Either way, thank you so much for being here. It is a treat, a pleasure, an honor, a privilege to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks. So do appreciate it. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today as I just returned from South Africa. Um, travel was a little cumbersome because uh, getting a COVID test was damn near impossible. That had nothing to do with uh, John X safaris or, or travel restrictions, but rather Snowmageddon 2021. <laughs> Uh, finding a place with power to actually administer a PCR COVID-19 test proved damn near impossible. Finally found uh, that place over in Plano. I think I might have mentioned it last week, but uh, they were able to facilitate the test in between power outages. And yeah, uh, got to Africa, had a heck of a hunt with John X Safaris. And that's what we're going to discuss today, a bucket list hunt realized for me in the form of hunting Cape Buffalo. And so, uh, yeah, adrenaline at an all-time high for sure on that experience. Anyway, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we're ready to rock and roll. And uh, off the top, and actually for the entirety of today's presentation, we're going to be visiting with Carl Van Sale. My good friend, my PH, professional hunter of four safaris at this point. Uh, we took it to the next level on this Cape Buffalo hunting adventure. Uh, and, and something that probably, I would say, in the back of my mind was, was a hunt that I always wanted to do. But certainly over the last decade, Cape Buffalo has been rising to the top of my bucket list. And uh, I'd say that before having this experience, it was Cape Buffalo, Leopard, and the North American Sheep Slam, like all equal. And now I've checked one off of that list. So, uh, and I think I'll certainly hunt Cape Buffalo again. But uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, uh, that's what we're going to discuss today. And then uh, a little cherry on top of this, this safari to South Africa was hunting fallow deer or stag as they like to call them over there, in the mountains. So a pretty cool experience that worked out based on the time of year that uh, we were in Africa this trip. Uh, so truly a, like a Western-style hunt that we're also going to hit on here today. And, of course, fallow deer, not native to the uh, African continent, but uh, the introduction is something that my friend Carl will explain as well. So that's what's on the docket for today. And I think for today's giveaway, hell, I'm I'm finished reading 
Horn of the Hunter by Robert Ruark, one of those romanticized, uh, wonderfully written pieces of literature that captures the beauty and mystique of the Dark Continent. And so uh, we'll give away my copy of Horn of the Hunter here today, and I'll throw in a First Light Lone Star Outdoors show cipher cap as well. Oh, and it's a hardback edition of Horn of the Hunter, by the way. So uh, not skimping there. To throw your hat in the ring, just email. How about Black Death? That's Black Death to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into this week's giveaway. Let's take a quick break. Coming up next, we'll head over to the Dark Continent to discuss our latest adventure with John X Safaris on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. It won't take us apart We'll roll some kill in the electric bill We'll smoke it in the dark Hey guys, Cable here for QuietCat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. QuietCat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a QuietCat. And it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, QuietCat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Yeah, I think I'll make me some homemade soup. I'm feeling pretty good, and that's the truth. It's neither drink nor drug induced. No, I'm just doing all right. And it's a great day to be alive. I know the sun's still shining when I close my eyes. It's a hard time. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is the Africa recap episode and actually taped quite a bit of stuff over on the Dark Continent, which we'll be releasing periodically in the near future. But for the next couple segments, we're going to talk Cape Buffalo, the Black Death, with our good friend and my PH, Carl Van Seal, second generation owner and operator of John X Safaris on South Africa's Eastern Cape. But before we do that, this segment... Proudly brought to you by an organization that Carl and I both passionately support. Of course, I'm talking about SCI. First for hunters, nobody does more than SCI when it comes to 
protecting your rights as hunters when it comes to educating, especially the non-hunting public, on why what we do as hunters is necessary. Because, of course, that is the conservation component, which is a, a big part of SCI's mission as well. So we'd love to have you join our ranks, and you can do so at safariclub.org. With that being said, let's roll the tape here on Carl and I's discussion, which we taped in the Jonic Safari's dining hall. It's a, a big common room. Think about elephant and rhino mounts, a leopard skin draped over the back of the couch, black and white photos of Roosevelt and Hemingway adorn the walls. So you get the vibe, right? It's a special place, and with numerous Cape Buffalo skulls resting on tables throughout the room, uh, certainly a place worthy of having a conversation regarding hunting the Black Death. And so with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to that discussion with my good friend and longtime PH Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris. Carl, it's great to be back in Africa. Gable, this year in particular, it's even greater having you. We came through a hell of a tough year in 2020. Um, fortunately, through the support of so many wonderful hunters and friends from around the world, we were able to continue on our, our conservation efforts on the ground. Uh, we were able to look after our people in a year without any income. Um, and and when you and I had rescheduled 2020 to 2021, I had offered you an early season date. And you bravely said, I'll do it. So, Cable, firstly, from me, my team, and my entire staff, I tell you, if you didn't come and prove to the world that this is possible, that you can come to Africa, then one never knows when the season would have finally started. The fact that you've come, you've seen, and I, like I say, you've conquered. Uh, I have had more emails since you've arrived here in Africa than I had in the previous two months of speaking and engaging with my hunters who are booked. I've had getting a commitment out of them to come. The fact that you've come is proven. And they're happy with it. They see that I'm coming on safari. I'm not putting it off another year. So for us, it is wonderful. Um, like you saw when you arrived, our professional hunters were over the moon with excitement. Our trackers. I have not seen the buzz around camp like it is this year. And yeah, sometimes in life we have a default little setting, a little reload. And 2020 sure did do that to us. After 38 years in the business, we had never been through a season without hunters. So you starting us off this year has really got us going, eh? Well, we can certainly testify that it is doable. Uh, you do have to get a COVID test going and coming home. That proved to be a little bit of a challenge just because of the Snowmageddon situation in North Texas. Uh, the places we had set up to get our tests were all you know, void of power for the better part of three or four days. So um, once we were able to find a place to, to do that in-house, uh, things got a lot easier. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with uh, John X or, or, and you know, under normal circumstances, that wouldn't even be an issue. So uh, that was the only hoop we really had to jump through. Once we got here, though, I mean, the hunting was and has been phenomenal. The guys have put some beautiful animals into the salt shed. And, uh, and you know, that'd be expected since no one's hunted here in, in 15 months, essentially. Uh, but as far as Cape Buffalo are concerned, Carl, um, these animals are native to the eastern cape but unfortunately were treated much like the american bison in the fact that they were exterminated from this area completely 
absolutely. So much of our country, and 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 let's call it eighty to hundred years ago, uh, the 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 opportunities were seen in in stock, domestic stock ranching, and wildlife was not seen as a valuable commodity. It was seen as competition, and that competition was 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 not only depleting the 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 food source the grazing it was seen as a hazard because at that stage fencing started taking off and they were busting up fences and 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 with that ranching problems would would exist and ranchers wanted to eliminate the problem so what did they do they went hard at it and they culled out the game in huge numbers uh the cape buffalo did not escape that like many of the other species um and and if it wasn't for natural, uh, we call them game reserves, national parks, who, who, who set up protected areas, a lot of those buffalo uh, and, and other species, including elephant, would have been wiped out altogether. As things changed, as the value of wildlife rose and more and more people saw the need for more protected areas for wildlife, national parks then started selling some of that game back to the private sector and... A lot of our buffalo in the East Cape today is derived from those original stocks that were looked after in those national parks. Yes, there were some pockets uh, of, of still what we would consider free-roaming buffalo, especially in some of the tribal trust areas where a large parts of, parts of our coastal forest belt had a lot of buffalo in those forests. And, 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 and it, I mean, still today, it's, it's fairly uninhabited. Uh, there's not a lot of people living there. So... Today, obviously, we are able to, to, to buy buffalo from upcountry as well, from national parks, which is really great. It mixes our genetic stock. Well, and I'm sure that helps them keep the lights on as well. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's now a, a, a massive opportunity for the buffalo, if you really think about that. And when, when, we, when we moved here to Woodlands five years ago, uh, there was a small buffalo population here. And consequently, since then, we've introduced a lot of buffalo. And uh, it's really good to see our buffalo numbers picking up beautifully. Uh, the, every season's calf crop has got better. It's got better and better. Uh, I expect still to have more calves. You know, it's quite hard. You, you, you know the terrain, and, and you've hunted that this week. It's very hard to judge what my calf crop was like, but I feel like every cow I find has got a calf at foot, which is really good. One other interesting side note, um, going back to the history of this place in this region, there's an elephant tusk in a glass case that sits on the veranda. That tusk is over 100 years old and was found on this property. Yes, correct, Abel. It's actually one of the valleys you and I had lost, one of our first safaris. I think our first afternoon we actually saw some eland in that valley, that particular valley. And, and um, that valley is called Olifants. Uh, Olifant is an elephant in Afrikaans, the Dutch language, yeah. Yeah, I've heard you guys say that word uh, multiple times to each other over the radios. Uh, now I know what it means. Olifants. So we have Olifants 1 and 2, and they're two adjoining valleys. And uh, in Olifants, in they found this this tusk, and they called it Olifants because that's where the elephant tusk was. And the previous owner of the property, very kindly, when he, when he packed up and left, he brought this tusk to us and said, he feels it's the right thing that this tusk stays here and is, is displayed. And that elephant's a hell of an elephant. I'll tell you what, that piece of tusk which they found, I mean, it's massive, really, really impressive. It must have been an 80, 90-pound elephant. That's the weight of each tusk, by the way, for anyone not uh, following along there. But I, I was talking to Sticks, and he knows a little bit about the history of elephants in the region. And sadly, they were dealt with much in the same vein as the Cape Buffalo. And 
the last ones were shot out of here in the mid-1890s. So that, that tusk is over 100 years old for sure. Correct, correct. Well, getting back to the Cape Buffalo, Carl, there's so much allure and mystique and history that surrounds this species, and it's resulted in various nicknames, most notably the Black Death. For a good reason. Reason being that um, a few... A number of hunters succumb to them every year. A buffalo, like like we like to say, they have this inability to to they have very little desire to die. Even even a well placed shot through the heart, you will see them still run fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty yards. Um often, you know, obviously you'll see videos, you'll hear the stories, um, see the pictures, but a buffalo has this uncanny ability that no no matter how well placed the shot is he wants to go after you if he can see you he will be tempted into a charge more regularly than any other species um now the contrary to some belief and 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 i think this is partly due to the fact that a lot of stories are probably blown out of proportion slightly and spiced to a degree truth be told the buffalo doesn't go looking for you if you put a buffalo in a situation where he is wounded and he has no way of of no outcome he will charge but it's not like a buffalo is walking around looking for you to charge you that's a complete myth um i i hear this from time to time and i cringe a buffalo is like a kudu like a bushbuck like any of those species that if he can steer clear of you he's happy to do so um like you've seen this week you numerous times we were stalking and on the tracks and they've busted out in chaos None of those buffalo turned around and chased you and I around up trees and we had to shoot buffalo at point blank range. That That is not something that, that, that really happens that often. And consider that wounded might not always be the human uh, bullet that wounded. There might have been a pride alliance. might have been a fight with another bull and now he's not in a good state and you come across his path and he charges you. You know, that does happen. And that's why that black death, you know, is there. But it, it's not something, it's, I think it's something that's been blown out of proportion to a degree. Well, I'm sure some of that has to do with the way that some of my favorite writers have romanticized uh, hunting Cape Buffalo and Rourke and Capstick. Wonderful writers, yeah. Oh, fantastic, for sure. And, you know, they're maybe guilty for planting that bug in me uh, as far as dangerous game. Death in the Tall Grass and Horn of the Hunter are essential pieces of literature for the uh, big game adventurer. Yeah, and I think if you if you recall one of our first trips and our good buddy, what we aka Super Hunter, Glenn Glenovich, he he invited you along on that first Cape Buffalo that that he did with us and you were along on that that experience. And I think you, you got the bug. I could see a little bit bit of glint in your eyes and I could see a bit of excitement, you know, as we ran up that hill after that bull, after that initial shot. And I mean it was an exciting afternoon we had. And and ever since then, you and I have obviously visited plenty about it, chatted, what are we going to do? When are we going to do it? And there's been so many other things. But this year, we finally got ourselves onto the tracks, my man. Well, we certainly did get onto the tracks. And we're going to talk about it after the break. That segment of the show brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. With locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas, Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for over a decade. Um from Cape Buffalo to speckled trout from the Texas coast to mallard ducks, white-tailed deer, axes, you name it, everything in between. They do amazing work with quick turnaround time, and they answer the phone 
when I call. You can find them at grthenumber8mounts.com. That's grthenumber8mounts.com. We'll be right back with more from South Africa right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Rounds in the Kate McKenna. There's something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwave, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season, fishing supplies. They've got foods like Anchor Tea, grass-fed beef, Dublin sodas, gourmet sauces, and a whole lot more. Also, Ace Hardware. From wall to wall, they have it all. Check it out. The Mills County General Store right there in Goldweight, Texas. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging has been helping hunters light up the night for over a decade now. I've been with them for quite some time. Back in the early days, thermal optics were pretty expensive. You might not realize it, though. The average guy can get into a thermal rifle scope these days very affordably. I've got the Thermion XP50. Absolutely love that scope. It's got a diverse color palette, lots of options to choose from, whether you want white hot, uh, black hot, red hot, you name it. There's tons of options, literally. It's got internal recording as well, and it's got internal and external battery options. So you can hunt all night without having to worry about running out of batteries. You can find the Thermion XP50 as well as their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics right there at PulsarNV.com. My name is Jim Murphy, won't you buy me whiskey? I have a sad story to tell About a young man Who delivered his companions Straight to those fiery gates of hell Just to save himself from a prison cell As a very old Mark David Manders, Jim Murphy Bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show Presented by Mossberg Firearms Cable Smith here with you Thank you so much for tuning in today As we are reliving our South African Safari. This was trip number four with John X Safaris, and I've got second generation owner and operator and my good friend and PH, Carl Van Sale, on with us today. Uh, we're discussing our Cape Buffalo hunt, but before we get back into that conversation, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it, and if you're ready to take that next step, make that dream your reality, well, Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise. For over 100 years, they'll do the same for you. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Well, Carl, my man, let's pick it back up with our Cape Buffalo conversation. And I think it's important to describe 
the way that we hunt buffalo on the Eastern Cape. It's a lot different than, say, flat regions where you get on the track and, and that's what you do for the entire day until you catch up with a buffalo. Uh, vegetation and terrain, however, on the Eastern Cape dictate that you mix it up a little bit more, and that means lots of time behind the glass. Yeah, so so upcountry, like I explained to you earlier in the week, it's a lot sandier. Uh, if you maybe go and hunt Mozambique, if you maybe hunt Zimbabwe, Tanzania, uh, even uh, the Caprivi in Namibia, it's sandy. You can track easier. It's not that hard to stay on the tracks. So our, our soil is harder here, a lot rockier. It's harder to track, number one. Number two, you will find that because of the, our terrain is all these valleys and draws, the biggest problem we have is swirling wind. So it's all good and well we're willing to track, and we do, and you have tracked buffalo this week. We tracked, and we, we could have, you know, with a little bit of luck, we would have smoked one particular bull, which we had tracked all afternoon. But what happened at the end? The wind swirled. We felt it on our on the back of our necks, and seconds later. Those suckers couldn't have been 30 yards away, but it was so thick. I mean, there's no way to see them. Could not see them. God, it was loud. Trees swaying, branches breaking, ground shaking. I mean, crash. So while the, the tracking skill is certainly um, still utilized here on the Eastern Cape, it just isn't as productive a style of hunting. Yeah. It, it's just that one out of 10 is a success. And we've just come to learn that instead of we'll track them into a, a region, but the minute those tracks are fresh and they go into a valley, there's absolutely no point just busting them out. You keep hitting your head, expecting different results. You know, it's, it's crazy. So what we like to do, we like to track them to a certain point and where we feel midday or that time when they're going to lay up has come up, we don't push them further and then rather sit up high and watch and last because sooner or later they can start feeding. And that's kind of how this hunt played out for us. Uh, the cool thing about being in, a, in camp with your friends and their PHs is everybody knows that, hey, I need, I'm looking for a buffalo, but Arturo's looking for a warthog and Kevin's looking for a kudu. And so you're always looking out for your buddies. And that played to our advantage on this day because Kevin, uh, my friend and his PH Ed, Ed actually found a bull that was feeding across the valley from us a, a long way away. Uh, but uh, yeah, he let us know. And so we scrapped our vantage point, hopped back in the Land Cruiser, and made our way towards them, which was cool because then uh, Kevin got to be a part of this uh, this whole experience as well. I think it's start of a dream, eh? You know, when when we got there, and Ascari. yeah, the, he's my Ascari now, and, and Ascari is an affectionate term we use in Africa for a gun bearer. Only the best gun bearers got those, you know, the nickname in Ascari. So Kevin is officially my Ascari, my American Ascari. He took his job very seriously and did a good job about it. Um, but I think we've started the, a dream for Kevin. I, I can see Kevin asking all those questions. Every evening he, he scratches the surface more. Yeah, there's that same twinkle in his eye now that I had after uh, joining Glenn on that buffalo hunt. Uh, but, yeah, let's talk about calibers. I brought a three seventy five Ruger. That's the biggest caliber that uh, my friends over at Mossberg make. And it happens to be a great caliber for dangerous game. Uh, what do you use as your backup gun, Carl? Yeah, so I I like the I like something a bit bigger than three seventy five. Uh, and coming to calibers, people often think we need to buy these big rifles and pack so much and shoot four hundred grains or four fifty grains or three seventy five. Um, I want to say to the listener, to that guy who's possibly thinking of purchasing a rifle for dangerous game, if you if you 
going to purchase a rifle and it's going to be your first dangerous gun safari. If you are accustomed to shooting a 270, 300, a 30 something like that for your deer hunting in the US, and you suddenly step up to a dangerous gun rifle, go and shoot a few before purchasing a rifle. And I'm willing to bet you that most guys, if they were honest with themselves, would settle on a 375. It's enough gas to get the job done, but at the same time, it's something that is manageable. One of the biggest mistakes we see with hunters coming on safari, there's this belief that the the more gas I can pack, the better it is with the, with the net result. I hate to break it. It's the first shot counts. If you can be more accurate and shoot a 300 grand bullet than a 450 grand bullet, but you're not accurate, it's not going to help anybody. So if a 375 is more manageable for you, rather shoot that. And from there, you can step it up. Obviously, I, 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 wouldn't, I would not say to you, I would not recommend a 375 for an elephant. Yes, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, all these calibers that we have today, the wonderful calibers, were not uh, developed to this level. So today, I would not want to pursue an elephant 375, but man, it, it will 100% do the job. But I would rather then go for something a bit bigger in the 400 or 450 class, 500 if you're a big boy and you can handle that. Me, I settled at the 416 Rigby as a backup gun. I love the stopping power. I shoot a 400 grand bullet through that. And um, I've had great success. Long may it last. It's looked after me to this point. And, and it's, it's something I trust. Love, love, love my rifle. Well, like I said, I brought the 375 Ruger uh, Mossberg Patriot. So thanks to Mossberg for sending that over. Um, but as you alluded to, I'm I'm comfortable, like most folks, shooting a 270, shooting a 7 mag, shooting a 300 wind mag. Um, shoot those a lot back home. And so the 375 wasn't a major jump. Now, it, it did uh, put a little hurting on that shoulder, siding it in at the range. But other than that, I mean, when you're in that moment on the hunt, your adrenaline is through the roof. You never feel it when you pull the trigger. Uh, now, the 375 is the smallest caliber that you can legally hunt uh, Cape Buffalo with. Is is that the case for all dangerous game, Carl? For your, No. For your leopard and your lion, you're allowed to shoot the, uh, a 300, anything from a 300 caliber and a 338. I believe the best cat gun for Africa is a 338. You know, I know a lot of 338s in the U.S. built for, for bear. You know I, know, I know a lot of guys use that for bear hunting. But I can tell you now, for for African lion and leopard, oh, I love a 338. That's been very successful. And speaking of big cats, we're sitting here with uh, an ottoman in front of us, and the ottoman has a leopard skin draped across it, Carl. I, I believe there's some family history there as well. Yeah. Yeah, my great-grandfather from my mother's side of the family, uh, originally England, ended up, stationed in kenya and while stationed in kenya hunted this leopard in you know before 1974 when the when the travel i mean not when the hunting ban took effect in kenya and obviously has decimated uh most of their wildlife because there was no value anymore um but uh yeah this leopard skin has come a long way in our family and it lay tucked up in my granny's uh cupboard for many years, and when I started hunting professionally, one day I was visiting her down in Cape Town, and she brought this out and said to me, you know, I'd like you to have this. I would like you to carry this forward for the family, and it's a special, special piece, which I enjoy immensely. I really, really like it, and it's part of 
part of the trophy room, yeah. So this is your great-grandfather's, and the reality is he probably never even knew what you would do for a living. Yes, he, he unfortunately never knew what i do. But what a cool legacy, nonetheless. Yeah, and I wish I knew him. Carl, how many leopard hunts would you say that you've been on? Oh, Gable, why you ask me? I don't know. Um, over the last 20 years, I would, I don't know, 20, 30? Yeah, I, I don't keep track of these things, Gable. They're all wonderful experiences. I don't really keep a tab on them, to be honest with you. Well, I think that would be an interesting uh, segment in and of itself, is just recounting some of those adventures and, and even more remote and dark places on the African continent. Uh, but you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. And we'll revisit that bull that our friends Ed and Kevin located for us. Uh, was he a dugga boy? We'll have to get in close to take a good look at those bosses, which we'll do after the break. That segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. And uh, right now is the time of the year where you're probably feeding those fish in your stock tank, right? If you've got a place stocked with crappie, bass, catfish, well, you need the damn fish feeder. You put the damn fish feeder on your damn dam, and you feed your damn fish. It's that easy. It's the damn fish feeder, and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more from the Dark Continent with our buddy Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. For open spaces runs too deep. No abortion can survive on city lights. Popper rock and roll. His moon shines on the silver rigolo Shimmers down the inland river flow Out there with the yellow belly bite Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. This premium power sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Hey everybody, this is Brandon Ryder and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Do you remember that night it rained out the football game? That night we parted with the girls from Fort Worth till the police came. 
You know we knew we'd probably never see Hello, Brandon Ryder bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as we are still visiting with my good friend and P.H. Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris. Before we dive back into that conversation, however, this segment of the show brought to you by the Mossberg Patriot. With everything from the big boy, the 375 Ruger, I took on the Cape Buffalo hunt all the way down to a 22-250 and everything in between. Uh, 22-250, that's what Henry used to kill his first white-tailed doe this fall. Something for everybody right there in the Patriot lineup. You can find it at Mossberg.com. And uh, with that being said, Carl, let's get back on that big buffalo that uh, Kevin and Ed located for us. We made our way around the rim of this huge valley and realized very quickly that we're still a long way away from this buffalo. I think maybe 1,400 yards, so too far to get a good look at him, even with a spotting scope. Uh, you needed to see the front of his bosses to determine whether or not he was a mature old dug boy as they say. Uh, let's pick it up right there. It was just too far to, to judge him, but the Dugger Boy name is a nickname that Buffalo get Buffalo Bulls get when they become old and they become loners. They don't want to be part of the bachelors anymore. They don't want to be part of the herds anymore. They're tired of having their ass kicked by the big young bull and they just decide to go and live a quiet life in solitary. And um, they are known to really enjoy a mud bath. And for us here, the local term for uh, for like mud, caked on mud, is dugger. And and in, in the native language, just dugger. So we, we call them dugger boys. It's an affectionate name. They are what we consider the best kind of buffalo hunt. He's old. He's wary. He's smart. He's got all the years of experience to outdo you. And um, he, he, he poses a, a great challenge. Um, so some areas do not carry as many dugger boys as other areas in different regions in Africa. You will see and hunt buffalo in various manners. If you were to hunt in Mozambique, where I've spent a lot of time hunting as well, uh, hunting the swamp and the forest there, the, the buffalo occur in herds of hundreds uh, in those regions. And, and you don't you don't uh, really come across dugger boys. It's not a common occurrence. There you hunt the herds. If you were to hunt the Zambezi Valley in Zimbabwe, which I've been fortunate to enjoy some hunting there, there you can pursue Dugger boys, but sometimes you would pursue basher groups, you know, and, and then some of the older bulls do peel off and are in the Dugger boy status. Um, in Tanzania, you can pursue, pursue Dugger boys, also some big herds, depends if you're in the north or the south. So some of those regions, when you go on safari and your outfitter says, well, we're going to pursue Dugger boys, or we're not going to pursue Dugger boys, it's not understand that some areas don't have the dugger boy scenario uh it's not always dugger boys uh there are many ways of pursuing cat buffalo but we were lucky we pursued a bull on his own uh we were able to obviously get in on him but only really make a call when we could see the front of his head you know the bosses i wanted to see that but he had all the other attributes which i liked i just had to be certain and so we were able to stalk within you know close that 1400 yard distance down to about 75 yards and that's where we ran out of cover. I mean, literally the last tree between us and, and where he was bedded. Yeah. And even though the wind was right and there was no way that he could see or hear us, when he stood up, it was like he knew something was off. 100%. He just, when I got you onto the sticks, I mean, we had not be, I did not have you on the sticks for two, three minutes. And I could immediately sense like 
his, his posture changed. He had suddenly lifted himself a little bit and he was more focused to listening. And the little tick birds were irritating him more than normal. Um, so normally they clean him and he's quite comfortable and he kind of allows them, but he was agitated. He was agitated. And those tick birds are a cool conservation story in and of themselves. Uh, once in the not too uh, distant past, were wiped out due to agricultural practices. Yes, also one of those sad things we, we only learned about later. We only figured out that the dips and the pesticides we were using to, to, to clean our cattle and keep them healthy was actually killing the tick birds. And in the 70s, you know, regulations were not that hot and things kind of flew and agriculture was flying and the tick birds unfortunately bore the, 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 the brunt of that scenario. But once again, we, 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 we got it back together. We brought in tick birds from up country and uh, we've been able to reestablish them in the East Cape here and they are doing so well. And every year they get better and better, more and more the colonies are growing. And I can tell you right now, 20 years ago when I started guiding, I would it would be such a wonderful occurrence. If I saw a tick bird, I would tell any other fresh hunter I knew it would be like news. Today, if I don't see 50, I wonder where they are, you know, on a daily basis. Well, anything that eats ticks is a friend of mine. Yes, absolutely. Mine too. Certainly a friend of the buffalo as well. So he stands up at this point, gives us a good broadside opportunity. And I'm on the sticks. And I don't know if you guys call it buck fever or, or buffalo fever or what over here. What we call it buck fever? Well, whatever we call it, uh, I had it because I hit about six inches behind the shoulder. Same elevation that I was after, but uh, ended up double lunging him instead of you know, breaking that, that front shoulder down. But you had the right line, Gable. The line was important. That was fine. You, you clipped the lung. When, when the listener, when, when you guys get the opportunity to go and watch that video, you'll see that first shot of Cable's absolutely punches him. I mean, he feels that he's not happy with the world. And you had told me not to stop shooting until he was dead. Yes. So he eats that first 300-grain bullet, starts running, and at this point, you know, forget the sticks. We're just free-handed and uh, just trying to put as many in him as possible. Hit him again with the second shot. That one hit him a little bit back. He runs, and uh, we, you're like, come on, let's go. And so we start sprinting after him. He stops maybe after 100 yards, put another one in him. Yeah. He eats that free-handed shot and starts running again. And so the chase is back on. Probably, you know, another 100 yards, and he stops again. I have a split second to catch my breath, and that one anchored him, hit him right between the eyes. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, brilliant shot. It was that moment where he was going to disappear over, over the edge into the canyon, and, and then the work really starts. Um, so that shot there really counted. Afterwards, obviously, we, we looked at where the other shots were placed. We now know he would not have gone much further. But, you know, hindsight is a, you never know. And there are different uh, thoughts and ideas and beliefs around, especially fresh hunting and guiding on Cape Buffalo. I know many, many um, professional hunters who have the most unbelievable experience, you know, guiding for 30, 40 years. And they will they even differ in the approach of how to back up on Cape Buffalo. Obviously, from our point of view, we don't pull the trigger for one second while the situation is under control. It's your buffalo. You start, that you finish it. Um, but obviously, in a scenario where a buffalo is hit like that and then takes off, some guys' approaches let them, let them go and expire. My approach has been one, um, depending on the terrain and the direction he's heading, I make two two calls there. 
I like to keep eyes on him to the best of my ability. So if I've got spotters out, you can watch where he goes. So if he disappears into the thick stuff, I then give him time to go and, you know, kind of bleed out. But where I've got a bit of open, you know, where, where I can see further than, a, than 100, 200 yards, I like to keep up with him. I want to see him because while I can see him, I can get another one into him. I can get you to, to slow him down. So that was the scenario there. That's what I said, you come now, run. And I mean, we took off at a flat sprint and, only reason I do that is not to run head, head first into danger. It's to keep my eye on the danger. And I want you to be there to make sure you can try and control the situation to the best of your ability. Well, I, I'd say that my adrenaline was at an all-time high. Even shooting an elk with a bow at 15 yards, you're not worried uh, about your safety. Yeah, yeah, you were shaking, man. Well, and I hope to uh, to be shaking again the next time we hunt Cape Buffalo. But... You know, Carl, to have this experience, to, to make this dream a reality, it's still surreal. I'm, I'm on cloud nine just talking about it. And to be able to share it with someone who uh, I now call a very close friend, you, Carl. Uh, we spent a lot of time together over the last four or five years. That made it even more special. Yeah, you're part of our Dagger Boy Club, and it's a brotherhood of hunters from around the world that understand this adrenaline, this absolute passion. It is something that never gets old. And I've come to learn that most hunters, and in particular, a very good friend of mine who's a good friend of yours, Steve Travis. Steve, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say how many buffalo we're on. Maybe his wife doesn't know. But we've hunted a few buffalo. And well, I remember when y'all went to Mozambique and he stacked up three on one trip. Well, we went to Tanzania a couple of years later and did the same thing. <laughs> so that's why I say I'm, I'm not going to declare any of the others. His wife might not know, but Steve's got a, a problem. Eh? He's an addict. <laughs> well, I can think of worse problems to have, and I guarantee you that you and I are going to do this again somewhere on down the road. I have no doubt we will be doing it in the future. All the fun aside, though, Carl, the, the coolest component of this journey was what came afterwards when we took a large part of that buffalo meat to the, I believe it's called the Carlisle School? Carlisle Bridge Country School, yeah. And this school is supported by the John X Safaris Foundation. Uh, you guys put in electricity. You dug a well. My favorite thing, selfishly, you built them a soccer field, which we got to play on. <laughs> yeah. Why is it so important for you, for John X Safaris, to give back by investing in these kids? The poor Porter kids. I mean, I don't know how much protein they get at home, but they were singing and dancing when they saw that cooler full of buffalo meat. Yeah, um, Cable, like you've come to learn with Africa, not everything is always what it seems. While politics plays its role, um, if if normal people like us sit back and watch things going backwards and seeing young people struggling through it. I think it's only the right thing to do is to pick up where you can, assist where you can. I think ultimately that's what society needs. And and we we arrived here, we saw an absolute need in a school that was falling down. I mean, that first year, it was April, early May. They still hadn't received their books. They still Teachers weren't being paid. I mean, these were people that were doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They were doing their job to teach, and they were maybe three, four months behind in salary. We stepped in. We started assisting. I engaged with the government. I tried I tried to get to, to, to the education department, and luckily we got some results there. But even getting those results, it was so limited, and, and our hunters so kindly, out of the goodness of their hearts, looked at this and said, 
we want to help. We want to jump in right now. And we facilitated that and we've we've put in the sweat equity. But you know, the 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 funds have come from hunters, uh American hunters, European hunters. Uh they they've been the ones who've made this all possible. We we made to look good, but truth be told, you know, we're the ones just carrying out the wishes of of fantastic people who care so much and 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 we believe that with our goals and our mission here, we need to create a value for hunting that the community understands and feels and experiences, and, and it benefits exactly. And and how will they do that? They will do that by children seeing their parents getting jobs in the hunting industry, uh, children seeing that wildlife needs to be sustainable, not poached. Children need to see that if we protect a natural resource, we can always benefit from it going forward. We don't have to deplete it. It happened 80, 100 years ago. We've brought it back. Let's not go back there again. Right now, we can all sustain this and we can have, a, we, we can make a living from this. And they, they can too. And that's what we're doing. You know, when we arrived there, most of those kids didn't know what some of the animals looked like. We brought them out, showed them. Back then, I would never have dreamed of them coming to me asking me, Please, can we hunt? Please, can we shoot? The interest now is massive. These guys are saying, these kids are saying to me, what can I do for you to take me hunting? I, and and my, my response is quite simple. Get good grades, stay in school, play sport, and be a good kid. If you do that, I'll get you to come hunting. No problem. You know, that, that's, my, that's my deal. That's my gig. You play by the rules, I'll, I'll give some enjoyment factor. You know, I'll treat you. Um, and, and the kids, I mean, Cable, when, when we, when we went there in the beginning, I would say there was maybe a 50% attendance today. I think it's like 98% attendance. Why are they proud? There's now facilities. Parents see things are happening. They're willing to give more now to the community. The parents themselves are attending those kids. You get to school. Parents tell me in the community, my own staff tell me that before we arrived at that school and hunters started funding the improvements there, they would try with all their might, to get their kids motivated to go to school. It was a fight from the morning to the night, week in and week out. Today, the kids are up before sunrise because there's more at school than there is at home. There are opportunities there. There's hope there. They have facilities. They can learn. They can grow. They can become something. And that, that there is what hunters' dollars have done. I mean, you saw firsthand for yourself. And the people who've been there and been involved, I mean, Recently, we've had Blood Oranges come on board. Robbie Kroger and the wonderful guys involved there. And what an honor it was for me to be part of that. And that film will be coming out this year. So keep an eye on that um, with with what we did with the new school hall and the sports facility and, and the raising the funds, building, and then our community day, handing that, that over. And then you obviously went and enjoyed the sports field. So it's something that we feel a responsibility towards. Uh, I, think, I, I think it's a reflection on hunters especially our traveling international hunters. It's a wonderful uh, contribution from them. And it's something that all of us must be proud of. And, and, and we will continue to grow it. Well, it's certainly validating as a hunter conservationist to, to see those dollars going back into the community like that. Yeah. Well, Carl, we've shared some amazing experiences. This one, I think, stands at the top of all of them for me. Uh, just coming full circle, going to the school, uh, all of it, man. It's uh, one that I won't ever forget and I'm truly grateful for. Yeah, and, and Cable, thank you once again. Thank you for making this possible this year. Um, we needed it more than you'll ever know. And as much as you enjoyed your Buffalo experience, I can tell you 
it was an absolute privilege sharing it with you to see your excitement to see your adrenaline and to achieve that with you absolutely wonderful and i so look forward to the next one i have no doubt there will be more uh, i'm afraid that you're right about that um let's do this let's take a quick break when we come back we'll head to the mountains in search of a species that is not indigenous to africa but uh, certainly prolific on south africa's eastern cape sound good sounds good Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Stealth Cam. You know, I left Carl some of these DS4Ks about three years ago. The video that he has gotten from watering holes here in South Africa has been amazing. 4K resolution. It's the best camera on the market. You can find the DS4K right there at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back with more from South Africa's Eastern Cape on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, the wife and the kids and the dogs are gone. I can't get Jesus on the phone. But old Milwaukee's best is my best friend. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled, and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. Cable here reminding you to check out the Polestar Helion 2.0 Thermal Monocular if you haven't already. It's got all the great features that you've come to expect from Polestar. Internal recording, varied color palette, and it's an essential tool for scouting so that you don't blow animals out of your sets. I use it on all my whitetail hunts and, of course, predator and hog hunting as well. You can find the Helion 2.0 at PulsarNV.com. But you ought to thank me before I die for the gravel in your guts and the spit in the eye because I'm the son of a bitch that named you Sue. could I do? I got all choked up and I threw down my gun, called him a paw and he called me a son, and I come away with a different point. There's the man in black bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today. This is the Africa 2021 recap edition. Uh, I got actually should say February 2021 since I'm coming back in July uh, due to this trip being postponed uh, from 2020 in the COVID pandemic. So anyway, if you want to come in July, there's still, I think, two spots left on that trip. Uh, just shoot me a, uh, a message, uh, email, LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com. Uh, we're about to head to the mountains to chase fallow deer, which people normally wouldn't associate with Africa, but they were brought here quite a long time ago. Uh, we'll get into the history of them showing up on the Eastern Cape momentarily. This segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series. Uh, this is what I was looking for fallow deer with. And, man, let me tell you, when it comes to bang for your buck on a spotter, you're not going to beat the Diamondback HD Series. You can get into one of these things for under $600. Check it out. It's the Diamondback HD. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. And uh, now, let's get back into it with our good friend and my PH, Carl Van Sale. Carl, 
When it comes to, well, you guys like to refer to them as stags. Uh, I like to call them fallow deer. Well, that's just what we call them in Texas. But for uh, this interview's sake, let's let's just call them stags. We're in Africa. They're stags here. And people don't really think about hunting deer, like actual deer species in Africa. But I believe it was an Englishman who originally brought these things over here like a century ago. Yeah, Cecil John Rose was commissioned by the Queen of England at the time to come out to South Africa and do a bit of a, a recon. At the time, the diamond industry was picking up, uh, gold rush had started, and and obviously uh, we were a colony, and, and, and the Queen sent out one of her right-hand right hand men and, and kind of said, you know, go and keep an eye on things there in the Republic. Well... It was in the early stages of, of developing our country, and uh, what happened was they actually, part, part of that was they, they brought, you know, everything had to come from Europe. And Cecil John Rhodes wanted to bring Falladia for table fare, and he brought, at that time, obviously, I, I don't think he thought much of our venison here in Africa at the time. He wanted probably a fattier meat, and uh, so he brought the Falladia out on a ship. They came out here. They released them onto the slopes of Table Mountain. I think it lasted a few days, a couple of days, and before you knew it, they had escaped. And from there, kind of uh, spread. And obviously, they weren't they, they they weren't able to catch them or hunt them out. And I don't think they put in a very big effort. They quite liked the idea of fallow deer all around the Cape. And from there, as the game industry grew, uh, fallow deer spread, and and guys are able to purchase them and 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 introduce them into areas and and grow the population. And they are prolific today absolutely prolific and occur you know naturally free range all over the place and they breed like flies yeah i remember our first safari carl i was looking through my spotting scope at something way off on an, like on another property miles away and i was like what are those black and white dots and you're like fallow deer yeah and i told you the price tag to hunt one of those in texas i mean you know four thousand dollars easy i'm shocked I, when you told me driving around i nearly laughed at you I mean, I couldn't believe what you told him. I thought you were just pulling my leg. Unfortunately not. And it wouldn't even be that great of a hunt in Texas, to be frank. But that price tag is is why uh, I've never hunted one. But here you can do it in the mountains. Glassing, stalking, the complete Western-style experience for under $1,000. So, uh, But in our previous safaris, I was always here too late to hunt stag due to the fact that, you know, they'd already rutted, busted up, some of their antlers had fallen off. But being here in February opened up this opportunity. And and, and, and what's worked well this year, even better than any other year, is that we had good summer rain. So we had good summer rain, and obviously fallow deer being our only, obviously being an exotic, but also being our only uh, deer antelope. So they're the only ones who shed. Uh, we don't have any other, uh, the rest of the game keeps their horns and grows throughout their lives, and they weigh down their tips, obviously. But uh, so early season, they, they've grown through the summer and there the rut is due to start in the next 10 to 14 days. So you and I, obviously, we, we headed out uh, in pursuit of them, but knowing the rut wasn't quite there, but also knowing that conditions are pretty good and that they should be enjoying some of the fresh green growth. What's crazy, Carl, is that they don't survive here at the woodlands where we are. Uh, we had to actually leave the property and head uh, north towards the mountains. Yeah, further north. So you and I travel 30 minutes north. 30 minutes north of here, it's crazy. 50, 60 kilometers from here, there's, I mean, that band, that belt starts. We saw a lot of deer. Yeah, yeah, we saw a lot, Cable. I mean, we, we had a nice busy day, and, and, and it's crazy. Right now it's the full moon, so you know they're feeding at night. We saw a lot of uh, does and 
just couldn't get our, get ourselves onto a stag. And finally, when we did see a stag, Ken, our tracker spotted, my new tracker, Ken. Man, I liked hunting with Ken a lot. Uh, the guy has a passion for hunting and takes pride in, in things like being able to, to pick out game. He's got that hunger in him. Um, you know, the, some trackers are natural born hunters and some have to learn it and, and probably end up not staying in the trade as long. They, they might service the safari well and do their jobs very well. But if you find a tracker that has that natural instinct uh, and, and the excitement of the pursuit, you know, that, that thing that lives in all of us deep down, uh, Ken, he most certainly has it. He gets, I swear, he gets more excited than the hunter. And I'm not saying this is the case with Ken, uh, but a lot of times these trackers are former poachers, which is why they're really good at their jobs. Oh, absolutely. The best trackers are the best poachers, my man. Well, it certainly fills the conservation component. You know, you take a world-class poacher, give him an honest job that promotes conservation. It's a win-win. Absolutely. If I could find the number one poacher, he'll be my number one tracker. So Ken finds this fallow stag and... That's when the day started to get really long because before we could get a good look at it, it, it bedded down, and all we could see was like its backside, and every once in a while you could catch a glimpse of its antlers when he would move his head, but uh, it was a waiting game from that point. And then Ken radios that there's two of them, but from our vantage point, we could only see the one, um, and so you know that put another kink in things. Hey, are there really two or? From his view, or, or you know, are we looking at the same deer? I didn't want to have any guide's remorse, man. You know, this is your first fellow deer in Africa. There's hundreds of them. I had to make sure we got the, the beast, you know, the big one. Well, we found these deer at 9.30 and thought we were going to get a shot opportunity about 12.30. But for whatever reason, they spooked and it didn't happen. Spooked you off. And, and I don't know why or what, because we were able to relocate them within 20 minutes and they just gone and bedded up. So I don't, I don't know what spooked them, what they weren't happy about. And we had moved around and gone to find ourselves a nice lunch spot to overlook the valley. They were, they had kind of gone and bedded up and we didn't see them come out of there. So we knew they were in there, but there were also some kudu in there. So that, that posed a bit of a problem. I didn't want to just push through there because the kudu would give us away. Um, and we had barely started our, our, our field lunch when I looked down there and there our stag was in a little hollow under a tree. No wonder we couldn't see him from any other direction. And so then it was back to the waiting game. As uh, you know, it, it did provide a good opportunity for me to, to clear out a spot and get comfortable from a prone position. Long shot. So we're up on this ridge overlooking where these, these deer are bedded and it's about a 400... Uh, 10 or 15 yard poke so finally you know the waiting game ends about 3 30 they stand up and talk about the fade because that's not a full minute of angle i over time you know and, and you and i have a bit of this discussion as well with the long range stuff there's so many you know chains of thought on this you know you got various opinions and, and and various scenarios at play here but what what what, what we have have been able to do with with some of the long range guys is we we've been able to hone our skills and we're able to 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 gain lots of experience and and that in turn allows our hunters to make better shots i i believe i can tell you right now from my first safari i experienced long range to today i, ho I know a whole lot more and i'm a whole lot more comfortable telling you what i i would like you to do and that scenario there i had measured the wind and i had said to you that um it was like a a five mile an hour was going to give us 0.8 of a minute hold. 
and I wasn't feeling it was quite far. There was a gust here and there, but it was drawing up the valley kind of left to right. So I said to you, let's not overcomplicate matters. If I look in the scope, a minute, two minutes, three minutes, we're still in the vital. So let's shoot for the fade. And it's a term we've, I don't know if other hunters use it, but it's uh, some of my buddies in the long range game, they, they've all kind of termed it, we shoot the fade. And uh, we, I, I said to you, if he's feeding uphill, head on the right, body on the left, I want you to hold slightly back, you know, kind of the back end of the lungs, put one in there. And if he's feeding downhill, I want you to take on the tip of the shoulder because that kill area, if anyway, if you hit him from the tip of the shoulder to four or five inches behind the shoulder, it's a pretty good shot. He's not going anywhere. And uh, yeah, that, that call worked beautifully. I mean, I'll, Well, at this point, we've been watching bits and pieces of this deer for six hours now. <laughs> so certainly you want to make that one opportunity count when it presents itself. Yeah. And I mean, he stood up, started feeding out. And I was quite happy he was feeding with his head uphill. It was, for me, a lot safer option. I liked that option. And I tell you what, Gable, I reckon that was your best shot with me. You know, I've guided you for many days now. We've racked up a bunch of days, nearly a month worth of time spent in the field together. And uh, that was that was beautiful. You were dead steady set up. You were calm. We had spoken about the scenario. And when it was go time, you put the hammer down, and there was no further go out the fellow deer. Well, I never realized just how big they were, you know, body-wise, until we walked up on him, Carl. I've seen them in Texas just kind of here and there passing, but my gosh. Yes. Certainly bigger, much bigger than an axis deer, and those are bigger than a whitetail most of the time. Uh, a lot of guys don't even like to have fallow deer around, in Texas anyway, because they'll run uh, other species away from a feeder. Yeah, you told me that. I never knew that. So we take some pictures, and then Ken starts to gut this thing, and he sees how fat the animal is, and he wants that stomach lining. He wants that call fat uh, to make uh, dinner with. And he's like, oh, I'm carrying it out whole. <laughs> like, you told me he was strong, uh, but my gosh, I can't believe he loaded that thing up and I, that it didn't break his back. So, so he made it quite a ways before asking for help, which uh, I think hurt his pride a little bit. But my God, no, I couldn't have done it. Uh, quite a way. Yeah, quite a way. But one thing, he wouldn't leave that gut behind. Man, he, you know, he, he, he made sure it was, was taken out. And I tell you that this morning, obviously, it's a bit of rain this morning, and you guys had a quiet morning. And and uh, he, I saw him back there, and at the, I was up at the skinning shed just doing a few checks, and there he was cooking away on that fat. He was excited. Well, nothing gets wasted here. And uh, I think Americans a lot of times are, you know, have gotten fat and happy and disconnected with – where food really comes from. So it's a good thing that a lot of the more popular wild game chefs are advocating for keeping cull fat these days. Sometime, if you can, when it's when it's hot, take it, fold it a few times, just, just, just a couple of times, fold it together, and just lightly salt it and let it just congeal the fat and actually get cold. Put it on a grid, hot fire. I will tell you now, it's a great snack. It's real fatty, very salty goes well with beer oh you're speaking my language i like beer and i like salty fatty things that i killed with my own hands so uh carl i think one other thing that is interesting about south africa and and other uh, places i know europe is very similar but when you kill an animal on someone else's property you take the trophy most of the time but the meat stays with that landowner yes because part of that is yeah, but it's part of that's to incentivize the locals. 
so they can see a value for it because that value is in protein it's very important for them to understand that the 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 um natural resource that they are protecting and sustaining gives back to them so you saw every last scrap of meat you saw them sharing that up uh, before we left that property you saw them actually all cutting up and it was being evenly shared between the families and and and, and cable you know the listener might not realize that when we talk about every organ being sh- shared even the windpipe I don't know if you noticed that the lungs were being shared up. Everything, what was left of the lungs, because you punched a pretty big hole through the lungs and heart. And um, it's it, like people tend to think, well, well, they probably don't use the, the, the bottom of the shins, the legs. Those guys were like happy for that because that they, they cook with their porridge to get that protein flavor in there. Oh, you can't beat the shanks, man. A good Oso Buco recipe. Oof, eat that bone marrow as well. That is tough to beat. Um, as far as wrapping up this hunt, and I would say it's compared comparable to a Western uh, big game hunt for mule deer. Uh, lots of time behind the glass, waiting an animal out, waiting for him to stand up, make that mistake to give you that one-shot opportunity. And I know you've told me, Carl, that if you could hunt one species in North America, it would be mule deer for you. Mule deer, man. Mule deer. That's the thing I want to, that, I don't know, that mule deer looks so proud, it excites me. Um, I know whitetail are prolific, and maybe that's why it doesn't interest me as much, but if I had one call in the U.S., it wouldn't be an elk, it wouldn't be a moose, it wouldn't be a bear, a wolf, it would be a mule deer. I would like that, and then sheep in the mountains. I'd like to go to Alaska and hunt sheep. Well, you're going to have to guide quite a few more safaris, and I'm going to have to host a much more successful podcast if we're ever going to Alaska for sheep. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a life member of the Wild Sheep Foundation, actually, Cable, uh, like I am of Safari Club International too. And my good buddy Gray Thornton, who's the in the he's the CEO of Wild Sheep, and Gray and I over the years um, became friends through the industry, really. And he always uh, convinced me to come and become a member. And I told him the only reason I became a member is to go into that members draw for a sheep hunt. So I hope that Gray maybe is listening to this and he can maybe rig the election there so this African can get a sheep hunt out of it sooner or later. Well, Carl, it has been a, a hell of an adventure. It always is. Trip number four with John X Safaris. And, you know, I say every one of these trips, it, it is the trip of a lifetime. And, and I believe that to be true. Each one is so different, um, so unique and hunting Cape Buffalo and, and fallow deer. And we de- didn't even get into the, the common diker hunt, um, but uh, we found success there as well. Truly, um, man, I can't wait to do it again. And we are going to do it again. As, uh, I'll be back in July. Yes, Gable. And how spoiled are we this year to have you here twice? And uh, some of our friends will be joining on that trip. There's a few guys who are, I believe are chomping at the bit to get here. Guys have been here before. And they'll be back in July, and we can't wait. And can't wait to run it back again, my friend. Thanks for everything, Carl. It's an absolute pleasure, Cable. We'll do it again. New adventures, uh, new hunts, new things on the horizon. Cheers, mate. Cheers. There he goes, our good friend, my South African brother, Carl Van Sale, John X Safaris. Uh, shoot me a message if you do want to be a part of that July group. Like I said, Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. That segment of the presentation brought to you by First Light and the Guide Light Pant. It's what I wore in South Africa, and it's what I'll be wearing in the Turkey Woods here in a couple weeks. It keeps me warm in the cool of the evening and cool 
during the heat of the day when those temperatures start rising. You can find the Guide Light Pant right there at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, we got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Carl for his contribution to today's broadcast. We'll be back with a brand new show next week. Thanks to all of you guys and gals for being a part of today's presentation. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Revolutionary